How's it going, New Philly? Happy New Year! If you're excited about 2010, let me hear hallelujah. Somebody's excited. That's what I like to hear right there. Uh, Brian, I'm going to move your stuff. Is that all right? Move this stuff. Wow. So, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but today is the first day of 2010. Who's excited about that? Let's, 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 let's give it a clap. Hallelujah. We made it through another 365 days, y'all. Come on. It's, it is 365, right? It is? All right, right. Yeah, 365 days. Come on. Let's give it up. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, I want, I want to just, I want to tell you guys something that, that the Lord has placed upon my heart for tonight. And I really, I really sensed it. I sensed it as I was preparing this message. I sensed it even as me and JM were talking and you guys were all sharing. The Lord is really, really pleased with you. He is really, really pleased with you tonight. Like he's, he really, really loves you. He loves his church. He loves each and every one of you. Coming out to Friday Fire on January 1st, you could have been anywhere else in the world, but you're here. I don't think you understand like how that makes the father feel like he's so pleased with you. It's OK to feel good about yourself in that instance, too. He's pleased with you. Thanks for coming out. Not just because I'm preaching, but <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But <laughs> this time at New Philadelphia Church. And if you're a visitor, I'm glad you came because this time is so special. This time is so special. I'm reminded of a word that Caroline, our sister Caroline, got earlier in 2009. And she was talking about how this time, the next two years here at our church, is a very, very special time to treasure this time. The Lord reminded me of it during the leadership banquet as the leaders were being honored. He was saying, Marcus, it is such a privilege to be here at this Like... It's so good. It's such a special time. Like there's a reason why God has brought you to this church at this hour in this season. And let me tell you something else. I really sense that the Father is going to bring this church to another level in 2010. Amen? Like he's going to take us from where last year, 2009 was a good year, right? We just did all this reflecting and prayer about it. 2009 was a good year. Amen? But where... 2009 was a good year. Our God is going to take us from good to great. He's going to take us to greater and even greater and even greater. That's the kind of God we serve. He's going to take us from great. 2009 was great. Hallelujah. Lord did some amazing things. He set Myanmar on fire. He set Australia on fire. He's, our church has been on fire. He's just, he continues to do it. And he's going to take us from great to greater. Hallelujah. And if you like the idea of going from great to greater, let me hear amen. amen. Yes. Yes. I feel real good right now. I don't know about y'all. Y'all feel good? Yeah. yeah tonight I'm going to, I'm going to preach, but really I just want to talk to you guys. I just want to talk. I just want to stand up here and really talk with you about some of the things that the Lord has been doing at our church. 
and what it means for 2010. So this may not be like a sermon you're used to. This may not be like today we're going to the book of Isaiah chapter blah, 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 and let's unpack it word by word. I'm going to, of course, use scripture tonight, but it is good. It is good. It's good to use the Bible. We, we need it. But we're going to, we're going to try and go into the principles behind it. We're going to look and see what the father's already been doing so that we can see what he's going to do. Cause he's going to take us from the great things that he did in 2009 to even greater things in 2010. Oh, come on with it. If you want to hear it, say, let me hear you say, come on. come on. That's what I'm talking about. You do need your Bibles, though. Okay, you do need your Bibles. Don't put your Bibles up. But uh, I guess uh, before I get started, we probably should pray. So let's pray. Father God, you are so good, Lord. You are so good. The things that you have been doing in this past year in 2009, Lord, we give you all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, Father, for the works that you did in 2009, Lord. We thank you, Father God, that, Lord, we are standing at a new day and a new year as well, God. And we know, Lord, that your plans for us, Lord, are to prosper us, Lord, to give us a hope and a future, Lord, in 2010, Lord. And so, Father God, on this first day of 2010, Lord, Father, I pray that tonight, Lord, your word, Lord, would be just a prophetic, Lord, a prophetic word to go out, Father God, over the rest of this year, Father. That, Lord, we wouldn't hit the ground, Lord God, and be tired, weary, broken, Lord. We would hit the ground running, pursuing after you, God, and after all you have for this church and for each one of us, Lord, in 2010. Right now, Father, I pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation to calm down upon each one of us, Lord. The spirit of wisdom and revelation to the knowledge of you, God, that the eyes of our hearts will be enlightened, Lord. That, Father, we would truly see, Lord, how high, how wide, how long, how deep is your love, God. How amazing are your plans, Lord. Oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of you, God. Father, we just ask for an increase in this place. I ask for every heart to be open to your word, God, that, Lord, when the seed goes in, Father, it would produce a fruit 30, 60, 100-fold, Lord. Not even just 100-fold, Lord, 1,000-fold, God. Just bring even greater, Lord. We want more, Father God, upon your church, Lord. We are hungry for your word tonight, God. Father God, I pray your anointing to rest upon myself as well tonight, Lord, that as I speak, Lord, may the word go out, Father, and may, Lord God, it just do the work that you have sent it to do. I pray, Father God, against the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I bind him right now in the name of Jesus. And we command him to go. And we just speak life and life abundantly in this place tonight. Oh, hallelujah, Lord. We thank you. We thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, we pray these things. Amen. So as I was saying, we're going we're gonna to preach, but I'm also going to talk a bit. You guys okay with that? All right, so lately here at New Philly, we've been going through a time where the Lord has been talking to us about the Father's heart, right? It started, I think it started in around around September when the Pattaya team came back. And after that time, there was just this wave coming through the church where we were just talking about the Father's heart. We were learning about His heart for us, about what it means to really be sons and daughters, right? First John 3, 1 says, How great is the love that the Father 
has given to us that we should be called children of God and that we are. Right? We've been learning about that. Amen? He's been, he's been showing us what it means to stand as His children and to really begin to grip the heart of the Father. We've been learning that the Father's heart is not a heart that is angry with us. It's, he's not abusive towards us. He's not, he doesn't neglect us. But instead, He looks at us and He's so pleased with us. He looks at us He says, You're my beloved son. You're my beloved daughter. And with you, I am well pleased. I am so proud of you. The Father's been speaking that to our church. He's been speaking it. He's definitely been speaking it to me. I don't know. I've been crying a whole bunch over the past three months because of the Father's heart as it's been revealed to us. And he's, we've been able to get a glimpse into his vast and beautiful heart. But not just that, but he's also began to speak to us about influence. Pastor Christian, came, he spoke a message about the seven mountains on a Sunday. You remember that? He was talking about, what are the seven mountains? Who remembers them? Arts, business, education, family, government, media, religion. If you don't know what the seven mountains are, they're the seven spheres of influence that we that one must take in order to control and to really impact a nation. And so we've been learning about that. We've also been learning about influence in terms of honor, about how we need to establish a culture of honor at our church. That it's important in the kingdom to know about the Father's heart, to know about influence, and to know about honor. And as we move into 2010, see what, what is happening is we've been going from a time of positioning, right? A season of positioning where the Lord has been, he's been moving the chess pieces. He's been opening up. 2009 was a year of open doors at New Philadelphia. He was positioning people in specific places, opening up new jobs, opening up new friendships, relationships, opening up just new doors, giving people New revelations of him opening up new doors into his heart. 2009 was a year of external and internal positioning. He was moving us into greater areas, not just on the outside, but also on the inside. He was bringing us into his heart. He's continuing to do that. But there was this season of positioning that he did in our church. And I believe that he's now taking us from that season, that season of positioning, into his heart, now into a season where we'll be able to experience blessing, influence, and favor. So, and that's what I feel that the Lord has placed upon my heart to talk to you tonight about. About that move from the season of positioning, from being brought into his heart, into a place of blessing, influence, and favor. So I guess if you're looking for a title to put in your journal, if you're taking notes, and you should be taking notes, you get out of a MacBook or something, there's going to be, you know, you need, you need to take notes tonight. It's blessing, influence, and favor. I couldn't think of anything catchy. <laughs> it's not catchy, but, you know. But he's moving us to a place of blessing, influence, and favor in 2010. How many of us want that in this new year? How many of us want to see not just the open door swung open, but we go in and then on the other side, it'd be wider than it was on the other side that we go in 
and we are the vessels of blessing, influence, and favor in those around us. How many of us want that in 2010? Come on, if you want it, let me hear it. How about you tell your neighbor right now and say, in 2010, I want blessing, influence, and favor. Come on, tell it like you want it. Yes. <laughs> it's not a comp- it's not a competition, fellas, all right? It's not a competition. I think God has enough for all of us. So, I want, I'm going to identify some things that the Lord has already been doing. And I hope that as we do this together, it will be like a prophetic roadmap. That we'll see what the Lord has already been doing and teaching, and then we'll look forward to it with expectancy and greater faith. See, what the Lord does is He takes us out of something because He's taking us to something. So as He takes us out of this season of, out of this season of positioning, He's moving us towards, to a season of blessing, influence, and favor. See, all throughout the Bible, It's always been about the people needing to look back, recognize the things that the Lord has been doing so that they'll have the faith and the knowledge to be able to see what the Lord's going to do. You look in the Old Testament with the Israelites, right? They weren't able to look back, recognize and identify what the Lord had already been doing in their lives so that they would have greater expectancy for what was to come. That's why they fell away. Because they couldn't remember what the Lord had done. They didn't remember the testimony of what God had been doing. So as we go through, this is, as we talk about what God has been doing, it's to be a testimony and a roadmap to see what God is going to do. See, the Lord never brings you out of something just to bring you out of something. It's always a prophetic sign that the Lord is bringing you to something. Right? Because he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So as he brings us out of this season of positioning, he's bringing us into a season of blessing, influence, and favor. So the Lord has brought us into a season of positioning in the Father's heart. And from this place, like I said, he's bringing us into a place of blessing, favor, and influence. But our move from a season of blessing into this season centers around the Father's heart. That's why the Father's heart is so important. Like the past three months, I was wondering... So much, asking God so much, why? Why are we doing all this about the Father's heart? Why is the Father's heart important? What does it have to do with anything? I mean, Lord, it's good to know that I have father issues. I'm glad that you're showing this to me. But why? What's the good? Okay, it's making me whole. That's good. But really, like, that's good for me. But it ends with me. Like, why? why? What's, what's the larger picture? What's the big picture with the Father's heart? Where are you leading this church? And it's because he, he's starting with that to move us into blessing and favor. See, there's a reason why we've been talking about the Father's heart so much. It's not been for us to feel all good and great and flowery and, oh, I love the Father and he's awesome. That's good. God loves, love hippies. He loves Jesus hippies. But it has a greater purpose. And it really is important as we move forward. 
See, His plans are not just to prosper us, right? Not just to make us whole, but to give us a hope to look forward and a future. He's planned something better for us. So this Father's heart, this emphasis on this is to cause us to look forward. And He's been teaching us about the Father's heart for two reasons. There's two that I feel He's revealed to me. And the first one is because God wants to nurture in us a desperation for Him. All this emphasis on the Father's heart is first because God wants to nurture in you and I a desperation and hunger for the Father, for His presence, for His anointing, for Him. But not for ourselves, but because, number two, He's called us to duplicate that, to replicate that in the lives of other people. He's called us to take what He's showing us about the Father's heart and to go and be fathers in the seven mountains. He's calling us to go and take, take this call, take this about what it means to be a son and a daughter, and then to go out into the places of influence He's given us, and to be fathers. To be a father in your workplace. To be a father in your church. To be a father in your family. Regardless of gender. Okay? To be a father. But let's talk about the first one for a bit. That He wants to nurture in us a desperation. See, He's bringing us into His heart because He's wanting us to be desperate for Him. Completely abandoned for Him. He's wanting to... He's took many of us over the past three, four months into the depths of His heart. And if we're honest, it hasn't been a pretty journey, has it? It's been a fairly ugly journey. As, he t- as He's shown us where what it means to come into the Father's heart, There's been a lot of tears, a lot of brokenness, a lot of, oh, I have this void on the inside. When I look back over the past three months since the emphasis on the Father's heart, it's, for those of us who have really been touched by it, you'll agree. It has not been fun to see all of your father issues brought into the light, right? It's not been fun to see all the broken places, all the areas where your father, your earthly father failed to see all the issues that have come from that brought to the surface. It's not been a fun journey, right? I'm not saying this to get everyone to feel all down. Trust me, there's there's a point. (laughs) But it's not been fun to see all the broken places, all the ashes, all the areas of pain and suffering, all the muck and the mire brought to light. I mean, for myself personally, over the past three months, The Lord, as He's been bringing me into His heart, He's done something really peculiar. I don't know how to say it. I'm going to say it like this. He's blessed me to the point of desperation. That doesn't make much sense, does it? He's blessed me to make me desperate. But if I look back, (laughs) he's, He's made me not desperate for more blessing, not desperate for more things, but desperate for Him. I mean, have you ever been blessed so much that it makes you miserable? Let me give you a quick testimony. Check it out. Over the past three months, every single prayer request that I brought before the Lord, He's answered. 
Like the ones where I've come before him and really just been battling. Like, Lord, I really, I really would need this, Lord. I really need debt cancellation, Lord. I really need this, Lord. I need favor, Lord. He's answered. He's answered it. He canceled my credit card debt. Check. He's given me favor at Torch where I did not expect to get the grades I got. I was like, Lord, deliver me. Lord, deliver me. And he did it. Check. He brought new people into my life that were just great blessings. I was praying for greater friendships to come. Check. Breaking off habitual sin. Check. I mean, he canceled my credit card debt. But yet, I've been feeling really, really dissatisfied. The whole time I've been asking myself, Lord, where is the cancellation of credit card debt praise? Where is it? I'm waiting to give this shout to God like, thank you, Jesus, you canceled my credit card debt. But it hasn't came. I felt really, really dissatisfied. All this time with each and every prayer, each and every breakthrough, I couldn't help but feel more and more broken. All these blessings, all these friendships, all these breakthroughs, it hasn't filled my cup. In fact, it's made me more anxious, more desperate, searching harder and harder. And none of these things have satisfied me to the core. I felt empty. I've come to see that I am in desperate need for one thing and one thing alone to fill me. The Father. His love, His affection, His affirmation. As God blessed me over and over with all these different things, I felt more and more anxious, more and more fearful. The deep pains in my heart were coming more and more to the surface, a lot of times very publicly. And I felt very, very desperate. All these blessings were meaningless without him. It sounds weird, right? But it's biblical. Open up your Bibles. We're going to use them now. To Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We don't have to go far. We're going to read verse 2. It's after Proverbs. I'll read it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This is in the ESV. If you look in your footnotes, the writer says vanity. It also means a vapor or meaningless. In the NIV, it says all is meaningless. Everything is meaningless. But check this out. Who wrote those words? Solomon. Isn't that peculiar? Solomon, in all his splendor, wisdom, and blessing from God, looked upon all he had and said, it's all meaningless. I desire something more. It may not be that God has blessed you to a point of desperation. It may be on the opposite end. That over the past three months, as he's been revealing to you the Father's heart, he's been showing you the areas of deep, deep brokenness. Areas you thought were covered. Areas you thought you were healed from. And yet he's been tugging and tugging and bringing you in. And you've been kicking and screaming, saying, no, Father, it hurts. It hurts too much. But 
He's been doing it because he's cultivating a desperation in you for him. He's revealing the deep void that exists within each one of us without the Father. See, he wants us to be desperate for him, for his love, for his affirmation, and for his affection. Why? Because he intends to give us his love, his affirmation, and affection. And when you're hungry, when you're desperate for it, you'll be responsible with what he gives you. When you're desperate for it and you're like, you're like the writer of Psalms and you're saying, Lord, without revelation, I perish. Without revelation, the people perish. When he gives you that revelation of his heart, when he gives you that, that revelation of the father's heart, it'll make you responsible for it. That's why he's been doing it. That's why he's been speaking to us about the Father's heart. That's why there's been so much brokenness. It's been kind of tough. It's because he's building in you a desperation for his presence. How many of you guys know that the Lord's heart is tender? It's tender. And he cultivates a hunger in you, a desperation for him. So that when he gives you that heart that you've been longing for, you'll be responsible with it. You won't throw it away. You won't. You'll treat it with honor. See, the Lord is not going to give you something that you don't want. He's not going to give you something that you're not hungry for. If He's not going to give you. We've been praying for the anointing and for his heart and for all of these things to come. But He's not going to give it to us if we're not hungry for it. It's like placing a banquet, a buffet meal in front of someone who's already full. They'll have a bit. They'll have a bite. They'll have a, a little bit. If they're not hungry, they may taste it. Oh, it looks really good. But they're going to waste everything that's there. And so, the Father... He's, he's committed. What he's been telling me is that he's committed to cultivating a desperation in each one of us. And so, it's because, and he's committed to cultivating a desperation in each one of us because he's committed to giving us what we ask. Is this making any sense right now? Are you understanding what I'm trying to say? See, there's this tension that exists, right? We come before the Father. He says, ask. And you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. But then he also says that the Father will not give you something you cannot bear. So there's this tension. There's this distance that exists between what we ask. And the Father has promised that he would give it to us. But sometimes we ask for things that we don't really know what we're asking for. It's kind of like when Noberto came to our church and he talked about the anointing. And he said, you got to be real responsible with the anointing. Because the anointing can kill you. <laughs> that was a total buzzkill. <laughs> oh my gosh, I used buzzkill on the pulpit. Sorry, Lord. There's this tension that exists between what the Lord has promised he would give you, but you being able to handle it. And so the way the Lord fills that gap is with desperation and hunger. Because when you're hungry for the presence, you're ready for it. 
When you're desperate for the Father, you're a lot more ready for it. And so He's committed to cultivating that in you. And that's what He's been doing through the Father's heart. That's what He's been doing as He's been showing to us how much He loves us. And our hearts have been shown how, how deep inside our hearts are broken. How, how much we really need Him. See, the revelation of the Father's heart has a responsibility. God is bringing us into His heart, sometimes for many of us, kicking and screaming because He desires us. And He desires to give us all that He desires for us. But we have to be made ready for it. Because when we receive it, there's a call to it. There's a responsibility that comes with receiving the Father's heart. And that is that He's calling us to bring that heart into the nations. See, when you are made desperate for His presence, like I said, you are made ready for His presence. It wasn't until Abraham was ready, desperate for the Lord. Abraham was so desperate that he would sacrifice his son of promise that then Abraham was ready to be the father to the nations. It wasn't... When you look at David... David narrowed his life down to one thing. Psalm 27, 4. One thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and seek Him in His temple. David was made ready. He was made desperate for the presence. And when that was his one desire, that's when David was ready to bring that out to the nations. To really bring that out to the people. See, to be in the presence of the king, he made David desperate for the presence and ready for it. And God is bringing us into his heart in a way that makes us desperate for the things that are on his heart. That we would only desire one thing. And when we get to that place, that is when we're at the place to reflect it onto the lives of those around us. See, that's why the Father's heart is so important. That's why he's been talking about it so much. Because God doesn't call us servants anymore. He calls us friends. And not just friends, but sons. Not just friends, but sons. And there are areas that sons can go that friends cannot. There are areas that sons can go that servants can't even touch. This two weeks ago we had a prayer meeting for for Brother Gabriel. And at one point that the me and Martin they prayed for me, and as they were praying, I got a vision. And I was standing in this room, and I'm I'm not the kind of person that gets like a lot of visions or whatever. But I was standing in this room, and in this room there was this gold and purple things like lavished all over the room. And there were these gold, like just beautiful gold things all over the floor. And right next to me was standing this guy. And he, was, he looked all serious. And he was laden. He had this outfit on. He was decked out. He was fly. And he had this gold and purple on him. He had his hat tilted to the side. And he was standing there real serious. And I was looking around. And then I turned to him and I said, what is this place? And he looks at me and he says, this is the room that only sons can go. And then I turned and I look and there's this huge, bright shining light. 
right? And I see this man sitting on the throne, and I can't see his face, but all I hear is his voice, and he says, ask of me whatever you desire, and it will be given to you. And I was like, what? But that's the place that sons can go. We can go before the presence of our Father. He shows us his heart, and he says, ask of me whatever you wish may be given to you. But there's a responsibility with that that comes from being in that place as sons. See, there's rooms of the kingdom we can access only as sons. And that's the place where he gives us the desires of his heart. God's word says that no eye is seen, no ear is heard, no mind is conceived what God has prepared for us. But God has revealed it to us by his spirit. And his word also says that those who are led by the spirit are called sons of God. There are things that God reveals to us by his spirit that can only be revealed to sons. And so God has to take us into the places of his heart. So that then as sons, we will see what's on the father's heart. And we'll be able to bring that out to the nations. Bring that out to your jobs. Bring that out to the workplace. Bring that out to your family. Bring that out here at this church. See, sons of God have the authority and influence to release the desires of God into a place and to bring about what is on the heart of the Father, life and life abundantly. For us to take the seven mountains and for you to move into blessing, influence, and favor, it takes first being positioned in the Father heart of God. And as we stand in that particular place, we are empowered and activated to be who God has purposed us to be and to bring the kingdom into the world. Your kingdom come, your will be done. God intends for sons to be the ones who initiate the kingdom on this earth. Amen? And so that's what the whole apostolic is about. Apostles were called fathers. They were seen as fathers of the faith. This apostolic anointing on our church is to send us out to go and be fathers in the spheres of influence. When you move in the apostolic, you're moving as a father. You're not moving anymore as a servant. You're not moving just as a friend. You're not Jesus' friend. You're, he's sending you out as a son of God to be a father in that place of influence. See, the Lord was speaking to me about the importance of a father. And I couldn't figure out why does it why do i have to be a father right why does it say that the hearts of the fathers have to be turned to their children why do we have to be those fathers in the earth and he said that the father's heart is important because it's not just enough to have good teachers it's not good enough for our church to just be taught about the anointing it's not good enough for us to just be taught about the armor we need it's not just good teachers you need good fathers See, teachers give you the knowledge, but you'll never do it. Teachers will tell you about all the things in the Bible. They'll show you everything. But teachers, they don't, they, they're not gifted to empower you to do it. That's not saying anything against the people who teach. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that we can all be taught that we're righteous. We can be taught that we're new creations. We can be taught that we're warriors in the army of God. 
But it's the fathers who inspire you to go out and they empower and activate you to go do it. I mean, it's the fathers that activate you in something to go and be who you are. You go out and you are who your father says you are. That's why Jesus said man doesn't eat on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the father. It's the reason why your best teachers in school weren't just good teachers. When you look back, they were really good fathers. They weren't the teachers that could simply teach. You learned a lot from them. But even the teachers that could teach really well, if you think about those classes, you probably forgot all the knowledge from those classes. The best teachers, the ones who are the most memorable in your life, were the ones who were fathers to you. Who exhibited that fatherly dimension of God in your life, whether they were Christian or not. They activated something in you that empowered you to do what you were purposed to do. That's why fathers are so important. Like even in sports, the best coaches aren't the best players. The best coaches aren't the people who have the most knowledge of the game. The best coaches are the one that understand that they have to be a father to the players. That they have to be the father to the people around them. And that's where empowerment and activation takes place. When you go into your workplace, God's not calling you to just be a good employee. A lot of us, we go into our workplaces and we do what we've been told to do. And that's good. It's good for us to follow instruction. But then we don't see the kingdom influence that we're praying for. But it's when you start being a father in that place to the people around you. You start loving on the people around you, investing yourself in them, seeking to empower and activate them to be who God's made them to be. That's when you start seeing the kingdom come in. Because God has purposed for fathers to do it. It's the fathers who bring it into the, into the place. So he hasn't, he hasn't given us this mantle of sonship for us to fall back into fear, but us to go and to set free the captives, to be fathers, to proclaim a release for the prisoners, and to raise up an army in an apostolic way as fathers of the faith in our places. But that's, so that's the mantle that God has given us. That's what he's given us. He's, he's given us to us in the, the first three, four months about being a father. About coming into the Father heart of God so that we can bring it out into the places around us. But now, He's going to take us into places of blessing, influence, and favor. And so, and that's how He's going to bring it about. When He brings you into the place of influence, He takes you from that and He uses favor, He uses influence to bring about the kingdom in those spheres of influence. And the first one I want to talk about is favor. See, the kingdom isn't advanced by people spending just all their time in the closet. See, God is releasing us to go out and make it happen. He's releasing you to go out and make it happen in the workplace. He's releasing you to go and make it happen. And he's going to do it through favor. If you want to, you want some favor, let me hear you say, I want some favor. See, the promise of God is that he would give us favor. Psalm 84, it says, the Lord God is a sun and a shield. He bestows favor and honor. 
Psalm 512 says, The Lord bless the righteous. You surround us with favor like a shield. See, in the word favor, it goes before us. It protects us. It's like a shield around us. It's, it's connected with faith. That when you stand in the place of a son and you walk out in faith, God releases favor. See, the shield of faith is the shield of favor that God gives us. He surrounds us with favor like a shield. He tells us to lift up the shield of faith to vanquish all the flaming darts of the enemy. You need faith to unlock favor. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please God, right? For anyone who would draw near to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. See, when you believe God, when you have faith, it brings His favor into your life, flowing out of His good pleasure. You have to believe, you have to have faith that He rewards, that He gives favor to those who seek Him. And favor doesn't just come from faith, it also comes from identity. God is attracted to faith. He's attracted to faith. And when God is attracted to a place, God brings favor. You speak forth and walk in who you are, and favor is released. See, God desires to give us blessing and influence that we would go out from our place of positioning in His heart and then activate and empower those around us. So as you go into your workplace, as you go into the seven spheres, and you go out in faith, in boldness, what happens is the Lord releases favor. Favor, faith attracts God's presence, it attracts favor. And it's a shield around you. The second way, there's two ways. The first way is faith, that you release favor. The second way that you release favor is by the peace of God. In Judges 6.24 is where we first see the, the, the name, the Lord, our peace, Jehovah Shalom. And it talks about Gideon, when, after his mighty battle, he builds this altar to the Lord and he calls it the Lord, our peace. And a lot of times we think about peace as the absence of conflict. We think of Shalom as being, there not being a battle anymore. But Shalom actually means in the Hebrew, the abundance of joy, the abundance of life in a place. It doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It means the abundance of life into a place. And so, <coughs> so like the reason I quoted Judges 6.24 is because when Gideon finished the battle, he built that monument calling it the Lord our peace, Jehovah Shalom, not just representing an end to a battle, but the abundance of joy, prosperity, and fruitfulness. There's a guy by the name of Lance Wallnow, who he's a he's a pastor and he goes out, but he also does a lot of ministry now in the workplace. And he does a lot of activation and people releasing them into favor, releasing them into experiencing kingdom blessing in their life. And he gives this one testimony where he walked into this business meeting with a high ranking official in the Middle East. And he was sitting there with the guy and the guy was they first walk into the meeting and all of a sudden they're sitting there. And they feel all restless because the guy has, the guy had an OCD and he was just like moving stuff 
all of a sudden and he wasn't listening to what was going on and Lance Walnow was like this is a train wreck this is not what we expected and so they pause the meeting they go outside they go in their car and they begin just declaring the Lord's peace they begin declaring the shalom of the Lord to come into this meeting and then because they believe that when you release peace into a place what comes with it is the Lord's favor because shalom isn't the absence of conflict. It's the abundance of prosperity, joy, and fruitfulness. So they began praying in their car and they're just declaring, Lord, we just declare your peace to come into this meeting. We just speak your favor and your peace into this meeting. And then they go back into the meeting. They sit down. And the guy starts fidgeting and then he stops. And he puts his hand down. And then he, he opens up to them a ton of favor. He was the guy over the entire correction system in the entire nation. And he opened the door for them to come in with their ministry and with their, and with their resources. He granted them favor over the entire nation because they spoke for peace into a situation. When you go into your workplace and you have that boss that is totally coming down on you, or there's people around you that it seems like every door is being closed, the Lord's calling you to release peace into the situation. When you pray the shalom of the Lord into the place, it releases favor. When you set your mind on things above and you begin to pray that whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, or admirable, the things that are excellent and praiseworthy, when you begin to declare those things, the word says that the God of peace will be with you. That God actually comes into those situations. He comes into those places. And where, where the Lord is, there's freedom. There's favor. There's blessing that is released into that place. So when you go into a place, the Lord's not calling you to get all anxious, fearful, because it's not going the right way. He's calling you to use faith and release peace into it. And that releases favor. See, those who... Those who walk in God's peace, they walk in God's favor. So you release God's peace into a situation and favor is not that far behind. And so that's the first thing is favor. In this new year, God's going to be releasing favor upon you. But it's only as you stand in faith, not in fear, and you release, you, you stand in faith and you release peace into the situations around you. You release peace into your family. You release peace into your workplace. You speak forth the shalom of the Lord, the abundance of joy and blessing. He bestows favor and honor. No good thing will he withhold. He surrounds you with favor like a shield. So that's the first thing is he's going to give you favor. If you believe that you're going to receive favor, let me hear amen. amen. The Lord is working to give you favor as you stand in faith. And the second thing is influence. The first thing he's going to release is favor. The second thing is influence. See, the place of positioning in the Father's heart is the greatest place. Bill Johnson says it's the place of the greatest information ever. Like, that's where all the information is, is on the Father's heart. But not just that, but that's the greatest place of influence. See, while we've been kicking and screaming and going through all this pain, being moved into the Father's heart, God's been moving us into a place of influence. 
Because when you're in the place of his heart, you see what, what is on the father's heart. You see his will. You see his desires. His desires become your desires. You begin to pray and to speak forth the things of God, the things on his heart into existence. That's what John Newfell was preaching about when he came here and he was talking about praying the kingdom to come, praying the will of the father into existence. There's so much power in that privilege to pray the, the desires of God into existence. There's so much influence in that place. There's so much power in that place. And not just that, not just that you pray things into existence, but because you are in his heart as his child, he releases you into a supernatural ability to bring about transformation wherever you go. Simply because you're positioned in his heart as a child. You're positioned in the father's heart. Everyone, let's turn to Ephesians 5. If I can get there fast enough. When you're there, let me hear amen. I want us to look at verses 8 to 14. And I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read it and I want you to read along with your eyes. See, God calls us His children. The Father of lights calls us His children. See, God is referred to in the scripture as our everlasting father. He's, he's the, the father to the fatherless. He's also referred to in James as our fa- the father of lights in whom there is no change. But God is not just, if God's the father of lights, we are the children of light. Ephesians 5 verses 8 to 14 says, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of life is light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things they do in secret. But I want to focus on verse 13 and 14. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light and stop right there it says in verse 8 we are children of light walk as children of light children of the father of lights right i just said that that we once were actually darkness but that the work of the cross has brought us out of darkness and into light that we are now children of light that we ourselves actually become light But, and it keeps on, it says that it doesn't just stop there, but when we become light, we have no other choice but to not go into the darkness and be dark again, but to make whatever is in the darkness visible. As children of light, you're called to go and shine into the darkness. I'm going to speak to you right now. This is what it's about in terms of influence. He calls us light. And he says, go shine in the darkness. And then he says, whatever becomes, he says, when you shine your light into the darkness, your light makes the things in the darkness visible, right? But then he says, he takes it a step further. He says, but then whatever is visible is light. See, God isn't calling us just to shine our light into the darkness. 
He's not just calling us to shine our light into a place, but that when you shine your light into a place, you make it visible. And that has the transforming power to make those things light that shine somewhere else. I don't know. You just get what I'm saying here. This is like, it blows my mind every time I think about it. Is that when we shine into a particular place, it doesn't just... You're not just bringing someone's sin to light. You're not just showing what's things in the dark places. You're turning those things into dark, from darkness into light. You are. You are the children of light that shine into the dark places. And you have the transforming power to change everything that is in darkness to light. That's being an influence. That's stepping into a room where there's darkness all around you and your very presence influences the entire room, changing the entire room from darkness to light. It's walking into a hagwan where no one is Christian. And by your very presence, you shining your light boldly into their lives, it brings the things out from their hearts and it turns it into light. They go and shine somewhere else. And they do the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. See, that's what it's all about. As you are light, as you are an influence, you go out and you make more light. Not just shining in the darkness and showing what's there but making those dark things shine somewhere else. See, walking in greater influence and favor only increases as you go out and shine somewhere else. You make more and more light. Your influence just multiplies as you shine and continue to shine and continue to shine. Jesus said not to cover up your light, but to shine your light upon the world shine your light upon men so that they would see those good works and praise your father in heaven that's transforming them those men had no knowledge of god but you being in their very presence shining your light turns those people into worshipers how many of you want that for your family how many of you want that for your workplace That's what God is calling us to. That's what he's working us towards in this year. Walking in greater influence and favor increases and you will go out and shine. There are things that God has given to each one of us that shine as light the brightest. And he's calling us in this year to go out and do it. The giftings, the talents, the testimonies, the trials, the breakthrough, the anointings. Your passions. And he's calling you to go and shine in those places. God has placed you in a particular area of influence. Not for you to associate with darkness. Not for you to turn away from the dark places. But for you to be who you are. And that is light. He's placed you in a position now. In his heart. Where you influence. Not just your jobs. But you influence cities. You influence nations. You influence the world. And he's equipped you to do it. 
He's equipped us to do everything necessary to turn those areas that are dark into areas of prosperity and where the Lord's blessing flows. But this isn't, this isn't a message for like far off. This is for right now. He's, it's time for us to go out and to release God's blessing and favor and influence into places. Not for us just to pray about it, but for us to go do it. To put on that armor of light. To cast off the works of darkness with a shield of favor upon us. And to influence, bring the influence of the kingdom into this world. This is what it means to be apostolic. And this is a call for 2010 and beyond. So what I want us to do right now is I want us to, I want us to pair up once again. We're going to get in groups of three. I want you to just right now, just go ahead and start moving and get in groups of three. It can be the same groups. It can be different groups. And I'm going to read for you before we, before we start praying. There's some things I want for you to pray for in a second. But there's some things that, there's something I want to read for you. And it's a word that God gave me for one brother here at our church, but I feel that it's, I feel very strongly that this is a prayer that we all need to be praying at this hour as the Lord is seeking to bring about more blessing, influence, and favor. First Chronicles chapter 4. Jabez was more honorable than his brothers. And his mother called his name Jabez saying, because I bore him in pain. Jabez called upon the God of Israel saying, oh, that you would bless me and enlarge my border. And that your hand might be with me. And that you would keep me from harm. So that it might not bring me pain. And God granted what he asked. What I want you to do is I want you to begin to pray for one another that the Lord would expand your capacity in 2010. That the Lord would expand your borders in 2010. That he would expand your territory personally. He would expand the borders of this church. He would expand the borders of the churches in the kingdom here in Seoul. That he would expand it, the borders, the territory of the church in the world. But I want you to be praying specifically first for one another and then for the church, New Philadelphia Church, and then the English ministries here in Seoul. we got to declare the words of Jabez over ourselves and over this church. That God would expand our capacity to give us blessing, influence, and favor. Because God's response to that request was what? He granted that request. He's taking us into the place that only sons can go. He's showing us that we inhabit a realm of influence and favor that only sons can occupy because He wants us to go out and to let our light shine before men so that they would praise our Father in heaven. That we would take the seven mountains. 
So I want us right now just to pray for one another. Pray that there would be an expanding of capacity. Pray for fresh boldness, fresh fire, and favor, decree favor and blessing over one another. And let's start praying.